All right. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. Um, Pastor John is taking a little bit of a break, and uh, he's watching some football in Minnesota. <laughs> We're not going to hold that against him, right? No, he needs a little bit of time off and a time out, and I am here today. So this is what you get, right? So here's the thing. Uh, we all have this idea, and um, bear with me, okay? So um, the concept of being at one point feeling like outcast. I mean, for those of you that were born in the 1900s, uh, more specific in the 80s, uh, you remember middle school, so this is the time for me I was in the middle school, and if you're thinking about being outcast, you've got to put your thoughts when you're in the middle school. I don't know about you, but for me it was a nightmare. Middle school was something I would like to forget. You know, I remember we had a PE teacher, and for some reason, I don't know, um, you know, the nicest people ever, but once they put a whistle in their mouth, it's the closest thing that I've ever been from being like a military, you know, like a soldier, because, and I remember the idea of PE class, you know, in the middle school was like we were crawling, army crawling, and doing all weird things. And I was like, why are we even doing this? And I remember one time, the first time that we were introduced to the rope, you guys remember the rope that goes up to the ceiling? So we have two ropes, and then I remember looking at it, and I'm like, where is this going to take us, right? And trying to figure out, and the teacher just comes, and, and then she was like, all right, guys, everybody line up. We're going to have a race on each side to see who can reach the top first. And I remember, you know, I still remember to this day, and I remember looking at the rope, and it was about like eight feet, you know, to about eight to ten. But for a kid in the middle school, it feels like you're two floors high, you know, really high. And then I remember looking down, and I'm like, what if someone falls? And I asked that to the PE teacher. I was like, what if somebody falls? And then she's like, well, we put those mattress down the bottom. And it was like thick as a blanket. Just in case if you fall, this is going to hold you down. And in fact, all the other kids would be underneath. I mean, it was a mess, right? We survived the 80s. But I remember one of the things, they care less about how you feel. I mean, seriously. And I remember when we had to pick um, uh, teams, right? We had a soccer team, and I was a sixth grader. I mean, I, I, I started in school a little bit earlier, so I was a small sixth grader. And I remember they pick always the big kids and the stronger kids. And so they start picking, and you know what I'm talking about. So they're all picking. They have two captains, and they're picking the teams. And there's something about being the last one being picked, and you're staring at 30 other kids as you're in the middle, and everybody's like, eh, you know, I'll pick this one. And I, and I remember the feeling of everybody looking at me is like, you're a loser, you know, <laughs> feeling horrible about it. But little that they knew, you know, I overgrew somehow, and in the following year, I had already a beard, I was a tall kid. <laughs> It was big, and I was the first one to be picked every single time. In your faces! So very exciting. But we all experience the times in our lives that we feel outcast. You know, times that you feel like separated from other people. For some of us, happens in the middle school. For some of us, in high school or college. But for some of us, it's just how it is. It follows us, and we have this time 
where it doesn't feel good to not belong. And sometimes one of the things that happen, we experience that, and unfortunately, sometimes that happens in churches. You know, you come, and there's this idea that for you to be here in the church, that you have to be a good person, or you have to have all your act together, and you have to be totally clean from all the sins in the world. And that's the idea that sometimes uh, people come and have that. And unfortunately, you know, this is a misconception, you know, of coming to church and you have to have everything figured out. And I grew up in a church that unfortunately I had this idea. And it could be, you know, for a lot of people, it might be themselves thinking that. And it might be a culture that the church brings that you have to have your act together before being here. But the worst part about it, and this is the thing that hurts people, is if you believe that you have, in order to have a relationship with God, that you have to be totally clean. That in order for you to come to Him, is that you have to live a perfect life. And this is a common idea in our culture. And, and sometimes the idea of you have to perform, you know, we are surrounded by that. Your jobs in school, we have to perform. But when it comes to relationship with Christ or coming to Him, I'm not talking about sanctification. I'm talking about coming to Him. There's this idea that we have to be, in order for us to be accepted or loved, we have to perform well. And hopefully this is not you, and this is not how you feel, because if it is, you totally misunderstood about who Jesus is, and maybe even possible that you don't know him. And I would like to talk a little bit about this today. But I want you guys to think about this, that Jesus does not accept our applications. You know, in the old days, to be part of... Uh, Jewish culture, you know, the kid would give an application and the master or the teacher or the rabbi would have to look through applications in order to accept that. But see, the thing about Jesus, he does not accept application, but he sends invitations as the idea of come as you are. If you don't agree with me, you look at the Gospels. You look at the people that he invited. You know, you have fishermen, you have tax collectors, you have shepherds, people that for the culture at the time, they're outcasts. They're people that didn't, didn't according to their cultural standards, they were not good enough. And that's the kind of follower that we have, a kind of God that we have, the one that sends invitations. And I want to talk a little bit about that. All this to say that if you came here today, no matter what you've done or what you have become, and no matter what others think about you, you still get an invitation to be Jesus' follower. And, and for some of us came here today, maybe it's a hopeless time, you know, a time that you feel like you hit bottom, Maybe you feel the feeling, maybe you have this feeling that God totally give up on you. But I want to tell you that God still has a plan for you. And I want to talk about this today. 
There's a Bible story that is a very famous one, and that's one of my favorite stories, and it's the story of this man with leprosy. It is my favorite one because in some ways, you know, according to their culture, they feel disguised, they feel like outcasts. And I think every single one of us at one point has this, we have this feeling of feeling like we're outsiders. And this guy understood exactly what it means to be an outcast. He was a man that according to the cultural standards at the time, and even today, would be someone that would be a social outcast. Nobody can get close to a guy like this. So here's what it says. It's Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 45. I'm going to read it. And then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the verses. It says this, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hands and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offers the sacrifice, they offer sacrifice that Moses command you for you cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter the town openly, but stay outside in lonely places. Yeah, the people still came to him from everywhere. Everywhere. Now, before we get into the text, I want to tell you a little bit about leprosy. And some of you guys already heard this before, but this disease still exists. You know, it's not, obviously, they found a cure and for a long time ago, but actually... They found exactly how to fix the problem in, 19, in the mids of 1980s. And it's a nasty disease, and it's found to be a bacteria that you get through the air. Does that sound familiar? And it is with person to person. And the thing about it, you could get infected, but the symptoms won't show until like from four to eight years. So you have to have some kind of a social distance if you have this disease. And there are so many laws and rules about how you have to go about it back in the Old Testament. So the symptoms would start on the skin, and they believe it to be some kind of a rash or a sore. And then eventually, you'll go to your nerve system. And the person wouldn't die from this. But what started to happen, it would take part on his body. He started going to the skins and eventually, the nerve system has started to get numb, and some people will get blind, or they will lose their voice, and some parts of their body started to peel off. It was a nasty, nasty disease. Eventually, your body completely gets numb. It's a very debilitating, and eventually, you get disfigured. So, this disease is really bad. It's a lifetime of suffering. A person that would have this would have a lifetime of suffering. But not only the physical part, but emotionally as well. You have to become a social outcast because of this. Because they didn't have the cure. 
So the only way they found to keep from others' shoes to get in the disease, they would put this person as an outcast and they would have to be completely in quarantine from other people. And some of them would be for life. It's extremely contagious and you have to be separated from others for life. Now imagine someone that will have that. Imagine the normality that you have, the things that happen to you in the normal days. Imagine that one day you wake up in the morning, you're going to go to work, and you kiss your family, you say goodbye, and you go to work, and all of a sudden you notice that you have a rash, and then you call your doctor and you say, I have a rash, and I need to check this. And then you go to the doctor, and the doctor give you a diagnosis that you have a leprosy. In the Old Testament, what it meant that sometimes you don't even have got to say goodbye, but you have to be completely outcast. Social distancing. Not only six feet like we experienced here a few years ago, but the idea that you couldn't even be close to a family, no more touches, no hugs, devastating news if you get that call. But not only, uh, not only the physical aspect, you know, to be close to someone, but the idea is the sentence of complete separation and isolation from other people that are healthy. And when someone will get close to you, you have to shout, unclean. You know, uh, last year we, we went to Brazil, and then there's few people there not feeling the best, and we had the leper uh, room, you know. So all the kids that were sick with the colds and flus, we put it in the room, and we told them every time we come close, you shout, unclean. I mean, obviously, we were joking about it. But can you imagine, in a serious way, living a life like this? You're exposing, you're being so vulnerable because you have this disease and you have to call out. It's a horrible life. Nobody can get close to you. Can you imagine the emotional, the emotional part, mentally, how a person like that would be after a while? How devastating it would be. Horrible life. In Leviticus chapter 13, gives some instructions about the person that has this horrible disease, how they should, do, should go about life. It says this, Leviticus 13, verse 45 and 46, Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkept, cover their lower part of their face like a mask, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside of the camp. Can you imagine living a life like this? Can you imagine the stigma of that kind of disease? Now just think for a moment. Imagine something that is affecting you personally or something that is deep that you're ashamed of. And not only you have this thing, but you have to require to proclaim that to other people when they get close to you. Whatever it is that you have, you have to announce every place you went. 
trying to put yourself on someone that has leper. It's a shameful thing. And that is for life. You might never again be touched by someone. Horrible. Horrible. Now, the first time I heard about leprosy, I was 10 years old. And, you know, I grew up in a small church. And then back in those days, when you're in a small church, sometimes they have the missionaries, or on Wednesday nights, the missionaries will come, and they will share a little bit about their experiences. And that time, we had someone from India. And in India, it's still leprosy is a thing, strong there. So, and I remember as a 10-year-old sitting up front with my mom and dad, and then the missionaries sharing the experiences they have, that he had in, in India with leprosy. The interesting thing for me was when he was talking, and imagine you're a 10-year-old sitting there being dragged by your parents, and then the guy is showing pictures of men with leprosy, and it was on a slideshow. Now, that would do great at night. Because if you see it, people are disfigured, you know, and I remember being traumatized by those pictures, and then I was like, oh my goodness, right? And, and I remember he said here, he said, well, from up front, he said, you know, you could have this in you, and it only develop, it can develop to, up, he said, up to 10 years. It can be in your system, and eventually it can develop that, it can show the symptoms after 10 years. Now, I did some research, it's four to eight, but I remember sitting there and thinking, and then he said, I might even have it. <laughs> and in those churches, small churches, the pastor will go in the back after, the missionary after he, spe- he spoke, he'll go in the back and he'll, sit in, he'll be standing in the back greeting every single person. And, they, and that's the only place you can get out of the, the, the church. And I remember, you know, I'm a kind of a hypochondriac already, and you probably are too. If you're looking at your arms, you probably are a hypochondriac. You just relax, okay? You don't have leprosy, maybe. So, and I remember walking towards the back, and then everybody's greeting, and then I remember, oh my goodness, what if I, this guy has it, you know? And I remember shaking his hand, and for the next 10 years, every single time I had something, I mean, it could be anything worse but I would be looking at it like, is this leprosy? You know, and I was just freaking out. But relax, you're okay. A life sentence of isolation. A life sentence to never being touched again. No hugs, no handshakes. Now, Jesus' take on this story is amazing. Because if you remember, you know, in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, right before this event happens, Jesus is having one of the most radical and beautiful sermons ever. It was a sermon on the mount. So he spent time after time just going up on that mountain and speaking a lot of countercultural ideas. Things that make us feel, as you, if you listen to, that you are not good enough without him. He talked about the Ten Commandments. He talked about that even if you think about killing someone, you're murdering. So he took an extra step to talk to people about it, that you are all sinners. You are not good enough. You're all outcasts, every single one of them. So he just spoke this very radical sermon. 
and giving the idea to people that they're nothing without him. And as he comes down after, there's a crowd that was following him. He comes from the mountainside. And then here's this leper that comes to greet him. And every single person just is spread out. And Jesus is left in the middle with this man. And here's what it says. Verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now imagine, you know, if you look at this, if you read a little bit on the Gospels of Luke, Luke says that Luke was a doctor, and it's important to hear what he has to say. He says that this man was full of leprosy. Not only Mark, he was going to describe a man with leprosy. But we have the take of someone who was a doctor that was on the scene. And he would say, this man was full of it. Which means that whatever he had was really bad. And probably we know by that, that he has, he's been an outcast for a very, very long time. But the, but the Bible doesn't say, but I imagine that everybody draw back. Because people knew about what this disease supposed to do but I always think about when I read this passage doesn't he know the law doesn't he this man know what's going on doesn't this man know that when he has this horrible disease he doesn't supposed to go and talk to anybody how much more going to a rabbi who was very important person and talk to them talk to him he doesn't shout unclean but he's desperate and he finds in himself that the only way that he can be healed or clean is to come to Jesus on his knees and beg. That's the sinful nature. That we supposed to come only to him. The state that we are when we inherit this from Adam. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 12... Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, he's talking about Adam, and that through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sin. We inherit in this horrible disease from Adam. And we are in the same way like this leper, surrendering ourselves because there is no other place to go. There's no other choices. Not the ones that might save you. Sinful nature. We don't have to teach anybody to sin. You know, my, my son, David, when he was a little baby, um, I remember we had one of those freezers that opens, like a drawer, you know. And he will open that thing. Over and over. And I remember we counted 15 times that I have to come. And I have not only a conversation. He was little, little, little. He's just crawling. And he will open that freezer and make a mess. And we disciplined him about 15 times. We talked to him. We put him in a corner. We did we, over and over and over. And you as a parent, you know how it's so hard dealing with kids who are sinful, Right? 
And you over and over and over and over and over, and he still will go do exactly the same thing. So finally, one day, I put a lock on that drawer, you know, on the freezer drawer. And then we walked away. My wife was taking a shower, and I was doing something in the other room. When I came back, somehow he put his little foot on the side of the freezer, and he broke the lock. And my wife was, back then, she was making a, one of those three-layer cakes for somebody, and it was in the freezer. So he got into that, and he was halfway through one of the big slices. And I said, Davi, what are you doing? In a nutshell, that's sinful nature right there. Right there. We all sin. We're desperate. We're desperate. Think about this leper. It's very easy to forget the leper because when you read the story, automatically we focus on the miracle. We focus on this amazing Jesus, which he is. We focus on that miracle, but think about the agony. Can you even hear his words when he says, he begged him, if you're willing you can make me clean if you're willing. He's tired of being outcast, being rejected by society. He's on his knees, which is a very vulnerable position. He's surrendering everything to God. He doesn't care if what he's doing is illegal. In fact, he could be stoned because of this. He could die. But that's what sinful nature will do to the point where he's willing, he doesn't care. He's focused on, he's a dead man walking. But he finds that Jesus was the only hope. Now, I don't know about you, but I find a huge connection with us, with our state of being sinful, of being outcast because our sin or because other things that happen in our lives Sometimes reject by the people. Or even coming to church and feeling like you don't belong. And some of you might be even struggling with some disease or a huge sin in your life. Or something that you don't feel like you can do life. We feel like lepers. But I'm here to say to you that there is no sin or no struggles bigger than our God. That this leper could have done something, so many other desperate things, but he chose the best. He chose to come to the right person, come to Jesus. He doesn't care about what people are going to think about him. He only cares about one thing, coming to Jesus. We are this leper. And I love that this is the in a nutshell, in a way, the gospel message that we alone, we cannot be clean. Not by our works, but because the mercy of God. And there is no other option. There is no other option that can save us. And what is required from us is to surrender everything to God. Maybe you're here today and you hit bottom. Maybe you don't know what to do with your life. And I tell you, you have to surrender to him. 
And in this story, we're going to see here soon what was Jesus' response when someone surrendered to him and said, I cannot do it. I cannot do this life by myself. If we hear some of the stories about how you came to Christ, there's a point in your life that probably that's what happened. It's realizing that you're not good enough, that you need to be clean. And this idea of surrendering completely to God. And this is how Jesus takes that kind of attitude. Verse 41, Jesus was indignant. And some versions will say, full compassion. But I love this way that NIV will bring as indignant. And those are two words, are variants. They ultimately mean the same thing in this context. It's, it's, he had so much compassion towards the man. And we know that because eventually he touches. He's not angry with the man. Because we know that eventually he touches the man. But why his compassion is described as a form of anger, I think that Jesus is angry at the condition of this man's life. Angry at a falling world. Angry of a world full of disease and separation and lies. He's grieving this man. I imagine that's how Jesus feels. At times when he look at your pain and the pain in this world and my pain, it makes him angry. Friends, I say this, the world as we know it, it is not the world that God intended to be. It's not. He created a perfect world. But because sin came in the world, the world is a falling world and there's not much good that we can expect from it. You know, I talk to people and they say, how can a good God allow this to happen or this to happen? And I say to them, it's because me. It's because my sin, because my disobedience. That's not how he intended this world to be. So when you're suffering, when you're in pain, think about this passage as Jesus is angry Angry with this falling world. We went to Brazil uh, a couple years ago, not the one last summer, but we were walking on the street market, and then I saw there there's a little girl. And in street markets, you see fruits and vegetables and all things. And I remember a little girl, and she was probably, I would say, no older than six. My son is seven, so about his age. And this little girl was carrying on her hip a little baby that was her sister. And I remember looking at this girl, and I said, what do you need? <clears throat> and she said, can you give me some grapes? I never had grapes. And she was digging through the trash and other things. At first, I want to just take this girl and, and go home with. Because that was the compassion part of me. But after, I'm looking at this girl, I'm angry. I'm angry, I'm ticked off with the falling world that allows kids to live a life like this. And I believe 
That's the feeling that Jesus has when he looks at people with pain. That people are throwing their lives away. The people that are full leper inside. And what he's demanding from people, just to surrender everything. He's angry. Angry. I think that's the kind of indignation. As he walked towards this man, he's full of compassion. Jesus is ticked off with this world. You see other passages in Lazarus when he comes to it. The Bible says that he cry and he demands Lazarus to come out. That's a God who cry out with us in our midst when we're dirty, when we're in pain, when we're full of sin. He's indignant. But Jesus, as usual, surprises everyone. Jesus, verse 41, Jesus was indignant. He reached out, he reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Don't miss that. Before he healed the man, Jesus touched him. And I imagine the crowds, they knew about the law, and then there was separation when this man comes. The Bible says that he reached the man before he healed. He didn't have to do that. Few chapters later, you're going to see that a lot of the healing happens on a distance. But for some reason, Jesus decided to touch this man. And the translation in Greek here, the touch means embracing. It's not just a touch. It means he took hold of. You are mine. You are mine. He didn't have to do that. If it was me, I will heal first, and then I will touch. Seriously. If you had that power, why not? But there's something Something amazing that conveying here in the story without words. And don't miss this. There's something about Jesus' love and compassion and grace that is conveying this story. See, the miracle reveals his power, but the touch, the touch reveals his extreme compassion Grace, love towards the leper. Jesus doesn't tell him, go wash away. Go clean up first to come to me. You need to get your life clean first, man, to come to me. But Jesus touched the leper right where he was at. He goes to him. He touched the leper. Sometimes we hear this in church that there's no way that God will forgive me. There's no way he will accept me the way I am. 
There's so much filth in me. I cannot even come to church. The walls will fall on top of me. So many stories we hear people saying that. My neighbor, neighbor once said that. I invited him to come to church. He said, if I come to your church, the ceiling will collapse on me. That's how much sin I have. But that's not Jesus that we know. Jesus, accept us the way I am, the way you are. And if you don't believe that, I'm not talking about sanctification. I'm talking coming to him. We have a graceful, a loving father who is willing to accept us the way we are. And he offers this invitation. By touching the leper, Jesus is saying, I love you as filthy as you are. I love you as diseased as you are right now. Your shame, your sin, it doesn't make me love you less. The touch means I'm here with you. I sympathize with you. When someone else, maybe other people are isolating you, people don't care for you, maybe you had an experience in the church or a pastor or a Christian that didn't accept you, but Jesus is saying, through this story, I understand you. I love you. Friends, I know about you, but this called grace. That's how much he loves us. And that's the gospel. Immediately, the leprosy left him. And he was cleansed. It's a beautiful, I call that a beautiful collision. Those two words don't fit. Beautiful collision because a collision is a negative, but beautiful is an amazing. So in the lowest of his life, when he's pleading and he's begging Jesus to heal him, and he's saying, I can't do this. This is it. I'm desperate. I'm surrendering everything to you. This is the lowest and lowest he can be. He finds Jesus in that. And that is a beautiful collision. A beautiful collision. Maybe he's willing to heal you today. Maybe he's willing to heal your heart, your mind, your soul. Maybe you need the healing hand of Jesus to touch you. He's willing to offer you salvation. I know that for sure. Grace touches you while you're still a mess. It's not about your performance. It's not about your efforts to be good or your discipline. Jesus reaches out where you're at. That's grace. Romans 5 6 through 8 says this, and I'll end with this. You see, at just the right time, when we're still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we're still 
sinners. Christ died for us. No matter what you've done, no matter where you are, he did die for you. In your filth, in your rejection, in your experiences, good or bad, he touches you. Come to him. Surrender everything to him. If you haven't done that yet, I beg you that you give your life to him. And he will touch you. He's offering you salvation. He's offering you healing. Healing of your soul. Healing of your mind. Just come to him. Let me pray for you. Father, we... At times we, we feel like this leper isolated from, from your world. But there's something beautiful about who you are. That you reach us out and you touch us and where we are. And I pray in the name of Jesus if there will be someone here today that is feeling like life is not good feeling rejected by others, maybe even from some of us. I pray that they experience your touch, the touch of salvation, the touch of grace, that no matter what we've done and no matter our past, you still love us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.